welcome to What She Said. I'm your host, Lucy Lucraft, a freelance journalist and blogger from London. Each week, I chat to awesome humans about their journey to where they are today, and we share lots of blogging tips and tricks too. You can hear the entire back catalogue, as well as new episodes wherever you listen to podcasts by searching for my name or searching What She Said, or you can go to my website, wanderloose.com. And if you want to come say hi online, I'm at Lucy Lucraft on Instagram or Twitter or over at my blog, wanderloose.com. Enjoy the show. Hi, Jen. Welcome to the podcast. Hi. How are you doing? Good, thank you. How are you? Yeah, very well. So for anybody that doesn't know who you are, and I don't think there'll be many, but (laughs) if they don't know who you are, would you mind introducing yourself and just telling us a little bit about your blogging journey so far? Sure. My name is Jen Thorne. I uh, run the blog A Beauty Junkie in London and have been doing so for nearly nine years, which is insane. It was largely a beauty blog when I started out, but over the years, it's kind of morphed into one of those sort of beauty lifestyle, all sorts kind of things. So I cover a bit of travel, I cover a bit of beauty, a bit of home stuff, and I've got a baby on the way. So I've started (laughs) talking about that a bit on there as well. So do a bit of everything um, alongside working as a social media consultant as well. Yours is one of the first blogs that I followed actually ever because I also blogged about beauty at the beginning. Well, I blogged about travel, but my two massive passions were travel and beauty. So yours is one of the ones that I followed. So it's awesome to be able to talk to you. Yeah, no, I'm really excited. I don't know if you found this, but obviously I'm coming from kind of a primarily travel blogging kind of perspective. And a lot of the people listening are from all kind of niches. But beauty blogging, I don't know. I feel like beauty blogging got big yeah big, uh, in the UK quicker than travel blogging beauty definitely exploded do you think that's because of YouTube in my view it started with a bit of YouTube and a bit of blogging I think beauty is a really good space for blogging because it kind of does give the opportunity to be this sort of antidote to the glossy magazines originally when it started out because every magazine will show beautiful products and they'll sort of tell you which ones you need to buy but you don't actually get to see them in action which is what blogs very much started out doing, the sort of swatching and sort of saying, this is what it'll actually look like on your skin, which I think was really refreshing at the beginning. And then over the years, it has kind of changed and everybody's photography levels have gone up and everything's kind of morphed into something that's quite similar to a glossy magazine and that the pictures are beautiful and everything's quite highly edited and stuff. But why it started, it's, I don't know. I mean, I would say it was because it was the antidote to other media at the time. I think that's a really good point. I never really thought about it like that, but I'm a big product junkie. So things like Makeup Alley and and websites like that, I live and die by. But the average Joe probably doesn't necessarily know about all those websites. Yeah, absolutely. And I think one of the things that I've learned, one of the things I really stress, I guess, now is it isn't just about the sort of Instagram influence and the, the pictures like that. It's the search traffic that's really huge for beauty, because a lot of people, even if they're not a regular blog reader or somebody who does engage with their sort of the social following and all that, they will often still Google a product before they go to buy it, which is where a lot of my traffic comes from is people Googling something. They just want to see what another human being says about it. They don't really care who I am or what my life is about or anything like that they just want to know okay she's got vaguely similar coloring to me does this foundation look right on her or what shade do I want and things like that before they go and purchase which is very different to the sort of influencer model I guess because it's not it's not engaged is it that person isn't engaged they're still traffic they're still worthwhile and there's so many strong beauty blogs out there I mean things like Makeup Alley are probably perfect because that's the sort of place that people will go to just get information and kind of move on and make a purchase they're not necessarily there for a sort of social 
crucial time. Yeah, there's loads of blogs who do that in the UK really well, sort of breaking news about new products that are coming out that people want to see, but they'll kind of look and then move on to the purchase. They're not necessarily there because they care about what that person's wearing or what they're doing. That's so true. British beauty blogger, for example, is someone who I wouldn't, I don't necessarily follow because of her, although I think she's brilliant. I don't like I don't really care about her life as such but I follow her because I know she's got the latest news and stuff about I mean she's very much a sort of a trade source I think because people want to know first what's going on and she'll be the person to break that similar in the way to someone like really re she gets up so quickly and it's amazing how quickly she gets stuff up sometimes and it will be the place where you're going to see the product collection first you're going to see it swatched you're going to really know which shades are the ones that appeal to you and you're going to be able to move on and make a purchase pretty quickly if you see what you like sort of thing. But that, I think that often gets forgotten in the, the world of Instagram and YouTube where people are sort of mini celebrities in themselves. There's a very different side to sort of influence that is invisible, I always say. Yeah, you're absolutely right. I never really thought about it like that at all, at all. That's a bit mind-blowing. Just start with a bit of a mind-blowing information <laughs> and just jump right in there. <laughs> a brilliant guest already. Perfect. <laughs> So taking it back to the beginning of your blogging journey and kind of talking a little bit more about you specifically and why you started your blog and all the rest of it, what were the stumbling blocks that you found along the way? Were there any? (laughs) Well, I mean, I guess a bit about where I started. I started just because I was in quite a serious job at the time. I say serious. I mean, it was a property company where I was doing PR for them, but it was all about sort of housing policy and and quite serious things so I wanted a bit of an outlet and I'd heard the idea of blogs but I was like well I want to get into something a bit creative and I knew there were fashion blogs but I didn't really know there was beauty and I definitely didn't feel qualified to write about fashion so I just started in a sort of it was a quiet lunchtime basically and I set up something and thought I'm going to use this as a little creative outlet that might look good on my CV if I decide to apply for something a bit different to the PR side that I was in and don't know how I just sort of started writing I think one of the first posts I did was a sort of top 10 in beauty of my favorites that I was using at the time and you just kind of wing your way through it and I remember one of the first ever sort of stumbling blocks I had was somebody I think they tweeted me or something saying that I shouldn't use I was using sort of pack images for stuff I wasn't using my own photography or anything and at the time that was fairly normal to be honest like most people did um back then but she was like oh who knows if you've even tried it or something like that and it was one of those things we were like oh actually that's a really good point maybe I should be showing the products that I'm using to kind of show that I've actually got them and used them I'm not just making it up so it's little things like that that have been really good sort of almost getting pointers from people reading as you go along I wrote a post about this recently called here's to the OG blogger which is the I love that. Original gangster. Thank you. <laughs> um, and it seems to have gone down really well, but it really hit the nail in the head in terms of we started from a place where nobody knew what they were doing and you mm-hmm. kind of just wing it all the way through. And now we're at a place where there's endless articles about how to blog and how to make money from blogging and how to set up a blog and how to grow your followers and all this sort of how-to guides when actually we just started from a place of I just want to write about beauty because I really enjoy it and I want something a bit creative and it all kind of snowballed from there and my view is almost ignore all those bits of advice in a way and just do what feels right to you you'll find your way I mean the internet's a big place there's definitely enough room for everybody so if you ever feel like you're hitting a sort of stumbling block just kind of take it back to basics in a way if you're not feeling creative then don't do it it's not the sort of thing you can force especially if it's a hobby it's not a big deal. Like the internet will still be there if you take a break. Don't worry. Don't panic that all your followers are going to go, oh, she hasn't posted for two weeks. Then I'm going <laughs> to... Like, it's not going to happen. Um, people understand that it's it's not always a day-to-day regular thing. 
the amount of stumbling blocks I've had over the years that would be like a whole series of podcasts I think in (laughs) (laughs) there's so many I mean it's I mean just touching on I suppose the transition from it being a hobby to part of my job that's quite a big challenge because you kind of have to start thinking of it quite differently you have to be a bit more business minded and I'm independent I don't have like a manager or agent or anything like that so every bit of negotiation is down to me which in some ways I love because look at in a control freak in me actually <laughs> loves knowing like everything that's going on and looking after it myself. But the other side of me that has to have difficult conversations and say no to certain things and stuff like that is sort of cringing on a daily basis, basically. So, <laughs> And what about some of the kind of growth game changers? How long were you kind of blogging part time before you made the leap? I'm coming into my fifth year of working mm-hmm. for myself. Five years, I think I was doing it independently. And now I'm into my fifth year. So it's four years I've done it. So it's nine years. Wow. Yeah, five years doing it as a hobby, four years doing it professionally, uh, which is scary to look at. (laughs) But yeah, so it's been been quite a while. Sometimes it's a bit how long is a piece of string? Like at what point do you go, yes, I am good enough. I'm successful enough to make the leap to being a professional blogger. Funnily enough, there's like, oh, say a moment, and this is going to sound really ridiculous when I explain it, but there was a moment that made me think, I really want to go for this. And it was actually on, when I was invited on travel, it's like a press trip to Mauritius, which was obviously absolutely incredible. And I still pinch myself that I've been able to travel through my blog. So I went to Mauritius for, I think it was just under a week. And it was just something about that trip that I was like, okay, I'm doing something right because I'm here. This is amazing. I've got to give it a go. I've just got to see if it works and I'd rather give it a go and fail than not try at all so and that was in I think July and it took me from sort of July to about November to kind of work out what I was doing and my husband Ollie is is brilliant because he's completely rational and he's not going to listen to me if I'm like right I've decided to hand my notice in at work and go it alone he's like great what's your plan (laughs) and he made me sit down and write a business plan and actually pull it together seriously and be like so what what is your plan to make money how is this going to work he completely backed me all the way, but he did make me think of it seriously, not just as a sort of, oh, I love the idea of working from coffee shops from my laptop the rest yeah, of my life. That sounds yeah. great. So it's not that at all. It's not even close to that. <laughs> he, but he really did make me think of it properly and be like, right, well, who are you going to approach for work? How are you going to get freelance work? How is it all going to work? And like, really think of it properly before I did take the plunge, which I did. And then one day I just went into work and handed my notice in and told him when I got home. So wow. that was great. <laughs> He knew it was coming, I think, but he didn't know I was going to do it that day. It's been brilliant all the way, but there was just something in me that was like, I've got to give it a go now. And I'm so glad I did because I think doing it now versus doing it four or five years ago is a whole different ballgame because there's so many people doing it. It's a huge commitment, particularly when you've got the sort of mortgages and bills and stuff to pay. And I mean, in some ways, I was really foolish handing my notice in the year I was getting married as well because we had a wedding to pay for. <laughs> but I made it work. And it has all come together and somehow it it has and it's worked really well and I've absolutely loved it I've had a lot of challenges along the way but it's definitely the best decision I ever made that's awesome to hear I I would agree with you it's definitely the best decision I've ever made and almost a necessary decision because I just can't do office work anymore (laughs) yeah the idea of going back to office life oh god I don't think you can I think it's really hard to go back Absolutely. Um, I think it's, I mean, I think some people do yeah, go freelance sure. and then realise that actually office life is for them. Yeah. And I think they know that quite quickly. The only time I find that I miss office life actually is usually around Christmas. Me too. Yes. Because it's like the Christmas parties. Christmas parties. Like, like Christmas party. <laughs> That'd be so much more fun. I completely, completely agree. <laughs> yeah. 
the rest of the time I'm like you know you can keep your office politics and oh just, yeah it's, oh, there's just so much about office life that I don't miss at yeah, all. yeah yeah totally one of the things that me and you were chatting about on Instagram I don't know if you're in the same place I'm in now but I've certainly lost my blogging mojo and that's what we were kind of talking about coming up against challenges I really think that this happens when you're not just in blogging but in freelancing but particularly in blogging it's so emotional you put everything of you into it that the highs are high and the lows can be really low absolutely so I'm finding at the moment I'm a bit like well every day I kind of go from my god I love this I need to make it work and being really motivated to oh my God, I can't be bothered with this. I'm chucking it all in. I'm going to work as a receptionist because I yeah. just can't be bothered with it anymore. <laughs> yeah, no, I've, I've definitely been. I mean, probably in all honesty for the last 18 months, maybe even two years, I've gone through real ups and downs of that for so many different reasons from just being like, you know what? I don't think I can write about mascara again because I've been doing it. And like at the end of the day, mascara is mascara. Like as much <laughs> as I love the new one and I'm always trying to find the one that's going to be the one I stick with (laughs) there's only so many ways you can describe a mascara for nine years before you're like (laughs) okay I need a breather but then equally the thing that keeps me going at the moment is very much the sort of I love the life I get to live because of what I've built so that is what keeps me going but that doesn't mean it's been easy and there are definitely days where I've just gone I can't do this I can't keep up like particularly when when you look at beauty blogging in particular like the quality of stuff that's going out now is insane yeah it's slick and and just the sheer volume of how much people manage to post oh absolutely it's just so much and you just sort of think okay well, you could either choose maybe the quality route or the quantity route and I'm like I don't think I could do either of those efficiently and neither of them feel like me like I'm not saying that mine's not quality or quantity it's just kind of the level of quality is so high it's just insane and these are people who are my peers that I've sort of grown up with in many ways and you think well how come they've gone on to this level and I've not and I've, I've chosen a different route and I haven't gone down the route I don't have say managers and agents I haven't grown as quickly maybe I don't have the aesthetic that appeals to some people in some ways which I mean this is a huge thing that I could talk about for ages how you have to sort of look and be a certain way to grow your followers in order to like to appeal to people basically and it's I agree with you I definitely think there is an element of it I think it sucks because not everybody is a beautiful 20 something there are people who are older who are perfectly as interested in beauty as anybody else I mean I find that the bubble of internet I'm in is all people who are in a similar bubble to me in life so I've started following a lot more pregnant people and mums and things like that and I kind of have changed through the years, I guess. And I like to think that that's what other people will do. And I guess that's how I'm trying to approach it is there will always be a 30 something who's just as interested in beauty and travel and family and home stuff as I am. No, I don't have to try and be the 20 something who's going to every event every night and going for cocktails and just living this fabulous life online that people follow because they're like, God, I want to be that person. It's hard though, isn't it? Yeah, it's really hard, and especially when you've kind of been in that place and then you're kind of moving on from it and you sort of think, oh, God, am I, am I just boring and old now? And I just don't fit <laughs> But there's, I mean, there's many times that I've been overlooked for campaigns before, not overlooked, but I mean, I've been rejected, I guess, for a campaign before. And when you see the person that they've chosen instead, you're like, oh, OK, it's because I didn't look like that. OK, great. And it's really hard not to take that personally. And I think especially when your blog is so personal. I always think of it as like if you think of a magazine, if a big brand is advertising in five publications and they choose certain ones, but they reject, say, Cosmopolitan magazine, it might be just because they don't want to appeal to the Cosmopolitan reader, which is going to be part of the Cosmopolitan brand. But they might go with Marie Claire or Elle because that's what they're trying to target, which is great. 
it's the same with blogging. They'll pick somebody because of the person they target. And as a result, the, the person who's behind the blog is that person, essentially. And when you're rejected for something, you can't help but be like, oh, it's because I wasn't good enough, not because my blog wasn't good enough. It was me. And that's probably the big difference, I guess, between being a blogger versus being a sort of bigger publication where you're a member of staff on a team. You are the person that is being sort of marketed, essentially. And you've got to have a bit of a thick skin, I guess, to deal with it, which isn't always easy. And when you see other people being invited to events or being sent stuff and you're not or whatever, like, you have to try and just brush it off and be like, it's fine. Like, it's totally fine. I've had plenty of things to write about. I have plenty of ideas. I've got plenty of other things to bring to the table that don't involve being reliant on that company or that brand or whatever sort of speaking to me, which sounds lovely in theory, but isn't always as easy to do in practice. Exactly the same feelings as you. I was literally nodding my head throughout this whole chat, like, hallelujah, that's exactly how I feel a lot of the time. And obviously, I'm in beauty blogging, so it's quite different for me. I'm not <laughs> some hot girl in a bikini on a beach. <laughs> so oh, I definitely get overlooked for things. Well, it's not just because of that reason. But I'm having to backtrack now, so I don't offend anyone. <laughs> <laughs> no, I know where you're coming from. And it's, I mean, I've, I've been there on trips with people who are just these beautiful girls that take stunning photos. And you sit there going, oh, I don't look like that. And I can't. And not we without probably should point out at this surgery. point that um, Jen is actually gorgeous as well. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's really sweet to say, but it's, no. That's totally true. Um, <laughs> even pregnant. <laughs> oh, I don't know. I think I just know my angles occasionally for photos. I definitely don't look like that day today. <laughs> I think the first time in four days today. So bad beautiful. <laughs> But yeah, so going back to really, really good point is that it's not always as brilliant working with brands as it as it might look. We talk a lot on the podcast about press trips specifically. I mean, you've been on them, you know what they're like. Yeah, I I hate them. I absolutely hate them, which is probably a really foolish thing to say. <laughs> but um, yeah, I hate them. As a blogger, I hate them. As a journalist, it's different. But as a blogger, yeah. I absolutely hate them. It's and so it, different for a journalist or a blogger on a press trip. Yeah, totally. Um, like such a different experience. And I went on one earlier in the year, actually, and it was it was 50, well, I suppose it was 50 50 between blogger and press but the press just get to have a great time yeah. it's amazing like yeah, yeah. A blogger, you're constantly thinking I need to take photos every second I've got to do this got to do that and it's just a completely different experience and actually this press trip I went on I absolutely loved because it was a really good group of people and it was organized really well so we had enough downtime that you didn't feel like you were just uh, frazzled from day to day so I think it was literally the secret to a good press trip I think is enough downtime 100 percent yeah <laughs> The amount of times I've had press trips where it's literally been up at God knows what time in the morning and you don't stop all day and you just end up feeling more exhausted when you come back and, and then everyone's like, oh, do you have a nice holiday? Like, yeah, oh, it God, wasn't yeah, a holiday. Yeah. And then you have all the work to do on the way back. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's oh, crazy. Absolutely. But anyway, that's a slight digression. Sorry. No, 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 not at all. No, it's completely on point. People just don't often realise how hard it is. Some people love kind of the lack of downtime. They love whizzing around. I know Monica is amazing, uh, the travel hack. Mm. She loves that. She's amazing at press trips. Uh, she seems to thrive at it, which is probably why she's such a successful travel blogger. It's not for me. I like it and I don't at the same time. Like it's a really hard balance to strike. Um, when I, in my social work stuff before I finished and went freelance, one of the brands I was working with was a travel brand. So I actually was organizing some press trips for bloggers and things like that. And I think because I was coming at it from a blogger perspective, 
I knew to do things like we had to make sure there was Wi-Fi, which yeah. in this setup of the press trip was actually not as obvious as a thing it would be. So we had to really push for that and just things like downtime and just being like letting the people who are on the trip go and kind of choose what they wanted to do and go off and do it with or without support if they wanted it, basically. And we tried to keep it quite flexible and but then still have me there as the kind of contact that they had. But I wanted it to be very much a sort of organic experience for them in that we were sort of facilitating this, but how it turned out for them was completely up to them. And it, it worked quite well, I think, mostly. Um, there are a few moments which, I mean, again, that's like a whole other <laughs> side story of how challenging this trip was. But it's good to see it from sort of both sides, I guess. And the only thing I find frustrating, I think, mostly on press trips when everything is so back to back is you end up with almost just so much that you can't include everything when you're coming to put content together yeah. afterwards as well. And then you end up feeling like you're disappointing the brands and it just ends up being so packed that you end up with maybe only four or five things that really stand out in your head and then you can't write about it quite as well as you'd like to maybe. And it just ends up being a bit of a mess. No, I know exactly what you mean. It kind of, yeah, a hot mess, basically. You just end up yeah. exhausted at the end of it with kind of a bit but of... then I always uh, want to feel grateful for having that travel experience because yeah. I love getting to travel through the blog. I love getting to travel anyway. But actually, the one thing I would say about press trips that I do love is how it does often force you to experience things that you wouldn't do yourself if you're on your own. And that's something I've really enjoyed. So getting to do stuff like what did I, I went when I went to Florida we did this like go ape experience kind of thing it was I think it was called something else but it was that kind of climbing three trees which I would never have thought to do myself and whilst I nearly cried at the first bit <laughs> not really good heights once I'd done it it was really good fun and I would just never have thought to do it so I do like how it kind of points you to stuff you wouldn't have thought to do yourself but then equally it's yeah, there's a lot of stuff usually fit in and there's a lot of stuff that you probably wouldn't have chosen to do yourself for a good reason. Yeah, that's a really good point. <laughs> Moving on from press trips, although I'm glad that we talked about it because I think it's something that a lot of people are intrigued about. And I, I honestly think that the people aren't transparent about it, which is kind of what I wanted to talk about next. Transparency in blogging, I think, can be a real stumbling block when you're starting out. People like to make out like it's a real dark art you know, even the simplest things like, I don't know, I think people think knowledge is power, perhaps. And I hate, hate, hate that side of blogging. So I always try and be as transparent as possible. And that's really the whole point of this podcast is that I want other people to hear the real stories behind like awesome bloggers that they follow and see that they're just like them. <laughs> so yeah, when you were starting out and kind of where you are now, what would you say to your younger self, basically? So my view on transparency is that it is really, really important and it's something I feel very passionate about. There's nothing that bugs me more than things like when bloggers don't disclose paid for collaborations because I think it kind of sort of summing it up, it ruins it for everybody because it just makes people look really dishonest. But I think in terms of overall blogging and sort of sharing tips and sort of advice, I, d I definitely think it's worth doing and just sharing about how you're feeling behind the scenes as well. I think so many blogs are read by other bloggers. It's actually really important to be open about these things because a lot of your readers are people who are doing this themselves on a whole manner of scales from the sort of same level sort of professional full-time down to people who just blog once a week and just do it because they love it and everybody's got their own interest in it everyone's got their own approach to it it's really quite valuable and I think it's just quite engaging to be the real person behind a blog when there is so much sort of gloss and fabulousness out there to also say actually I took these pictures in my pajamas because it was the best life <laughs> or whatever like that's fine like that's good but then equally you almost don't want to give too much away 
just because there are some things you do want to keep to yourself, I guess, of how you do stuff. And I think I'm probably more protective of what I do on my social media consultancy side than I am on the blog side. Like I'm more open talking about that because that's very much mine. Whereas what I do when I work with brands and do a lot of that stuff is is a bit more professional. And it's I don't know, I don't know. There's something more to it that I sort of think that I want to keep to myself a little bit more. Oh, that's interesting. Is that because kind of the amount of copying that can go on? Yeah, potentially. And I think it's it's protecting what I do because one of the things with social media consultancy, I think, as well, is that there's a lot of people who have come into it as I write a blog, I do social for that, therefore I can do it for brands, mm-hmm. which absolutely in many cases is perfectly a good thing to do and is a really transferable skill. But equally, I think there is a level of experience and skill that has come from working with brands full time professionally in a social media department of a media agency or in-house or whatever it is, you're not just sort of scheduling tweets and that's it. You're adding a little bit more skill to it, which is probably quite a difficult thing to say because I know there's so many people who do want to juggle the two based on sort of the experience they've got from their blog. But that's, I guess, why I want to protect it because I think if there is an assumption that everybody can do it, then why would anybody look to pay me to do it as a consultant? Because they could get anyone to do it um, or they get the intern to do it and you sort of think oh I need to protect what I do because there's a value to it and because I want to protect the value of what I do I need to keep it to myself a little bit more and kind of not give up too much away um which can be really difficult at times because oh I don't know I mean there's so many times you see a brand sort of doing something really cringy and you want to say something or (laughs) just certain things that you're like oh I could really add something to this or I could really help with it but it is something I keep to myself and I'm also quite I don't tend to shout about the brands that I work with at the time I'm working with them, partly because I don't want there to be crossover because there's a lot of brands that I work with which are beauty brands. Mm-hmm. And I don't want to, again, on this sort of transparency thing, I don't want to be sort of hyping up a product that I'm working with and then somebody go, oh, yeah, but you're paid by them as a consultant. So that's why you are. Yeah, I can understand that. Yeah. So I always want to make sure I'm completely clear about these things. And there's a lot of brands that I've worked with which I might not have talked about and that's probably because the products haven't been right for me but that doesn't mean I can't help them as a consultant and doesn't yeah, mean absolutely. I can't give them something but it just doesn't mean they're going to get it's not like a free pass to being exposed on my blog by working with me in that way if that makes sense oh yeah absolutely because that's another good point isn't it it's not just about being transparent and being honest with your audience it's also not being taken advantage of like yeah, getting absolutely. kind of double whammy you know you've got two hats and you're paid for both of them you yeah should, it's not like a buy one get one free deal you have to draw the line between the two but then saying that there is always going to be a natural crossover is yeah. if I'm working with a brand for a year and I actually love it and I'm using it myself day to day then it probably will pop up on the blog but I just have to be careful about how I do that just to make sure that it is always clear that there is a sort of a working relationship there even if it's not an explicit sort of paid for post yeah. um, by any means it's more just I do work with these guys in another capacity which is how I've discovered them and that's why I like them, basically. But no, I mean, I'm, I'm very, very passionate about disclosure and being transparent, um, particularly a bit about things around like PR samples and anything that's paid for. So I still always have a disclaimer at the bottom that says if it's PR samples included in a post. Yeah. I used to go as far as sort of marking every single one off through the post and sort of explicitly putting it at the bottom. I felt like I was probably doing a bit overkill on that. So I've kind of cut it back to sort of say may include samples because I've been doing this for so long that the vast majority of what's on my blog is a yeah. sample. Not always the case. I'm ashamed to say that the entire Sephora post that I did recently, it was all bought by me. So please don't know how much that was. <laughs> that was a, it's over time. It wasn't all in one shop, I promise. <laughs> I think it's you owe it to your readers. One of the things that I always stick to in terms of sort of disclosure and why I think it's important is if you're a blogger or an Instagrammer or whatever you are 
and you feel you've got value, the value isn't necessarily you. Your value is your audience. Mm-hmm. So yeah, that is who you should be sort of treasuring and respecting above all else. Because if you start fibbing to them or just, I don't know, in, in some way misleading them, they will switch off because they're all savvy people. They're going to know. And then your value is going to be nothing or it's going to drop or it's, you know, it's... Yeah, that's your you reputation, to, isn't it? Exactly. And I just think one sponsored post not disclosed is not worth losing the trust of your readers over. Absolutely. So don't yeah. do it. Yeah, yeah, yeah totally. Because at the end of the day, your your value isn't you. Your value is your audience. And I think that's really important to remember. That's a really good point. Your value isn't you. It's your audience. That's amazing. And it's really obvious, but yet... I think it's really easy to forget, especially when you're starting out and you first start getting things sent to you. And I mean, we all get those emails daily of, oh, I'll pay you <laughs> 10 quid or something for some sketchy link. Oh, wow. <laughs> Thanks That's so much. Right, right. <laughs> like, see, this is where the blogging riches come in, isn't it? Yeah. There's something I saw recently. Actually. It was actually it was a debate on Twitter and it was a really interesting one. And it was all about the view of I don't work for free as a blogger and if brand approaches me I should be paid money for it oh god that old argument is so it gets so heated doesn't it it really does and like I completely understand that people want to feel valued in what they're doing but you just need to be realistic about it I think and know that your value isn't it isn't always the time and effort you're putting in and that's not to say that you should do it for free if you don't want to do it for free fine don't do it but don't expect payment necessarily just for the time and effort I mean I likened it to um I think it was like a playing on a football team or something like there's going to be the Ronaldo's of the world who are going to be paid millions for the time of playing football but there's also the ones that go out and do it on a Sunday and they don't get paid but they just do it because they love it that's okay as well and then there'll be the ones in the middle who might get paid a little bit but not enough to stop doing their other job in the daytime that's kind of like anything with blogging like there's going to be professional ends of the scale which Yes, part of your payment should be being paid for your time, your effort and your audience as a sort of combined, that's how you work out your fee. But then on the other end of the scale, actually, no, your your audience isn't strong enough, but your time and effort isn't either. Like, I don't know, it's, it's a really difficult one to find. It's, it's so tricky. And even, even talking about it can get quite stressful because there are people at different ends of the spectrum like exactly like you say that will say I don't work for free because maybe they've been shamed by other bloggers who've said if you work for free then it devalues my work so, oh, so maybe then they take a hard stance and yeah that's so true but you have to look at it completely on a case-by-case basis and be okay with whatever your choice is for you and not judge other people it's kind of my view about it now I know my rates I know my worth but also this takes us back to a point that um, Monica and I touched on in episode one of series two. Blogging becomes a lot easier when your page views go up. And yeah. even though engagement is so super important, if you've got 10,000 Instagram followers, but a single, not a single one comments or five of them comment and you never show any influence, then, you know, whatever, that's, that's also not great. But likewise, if you have 200 Instagram followers or all 200 of them actually no that doesn't really work out I'm back I'm gonna have to backtrack myself because I'm talking nonsense (laughs) but you know what I mean right (laughs) yeah no I know what you mean it's that's where I think the big challenge for say brands and things is working with influencers isn't always a quick win they have to put the legwork in to make sure they're finding the right people that's where it it does get tricky because it is time consuming to do that because the internet's a massive place and there's a lot of people (laughs) out there 
you could be working on a beauty campaign and just Google top 10 beauty bloggers in the UK and you'll get 50 different articles, all of which list different people. You could just pick one and go, right, they're the ones we're going to approach. And you could end up with people who, some that aren't blogging anymore. You could end up with some that are specifically blogging for people with over 50 skin. You could be some that are 16, 17 years old. Like you could end up with such a spectrum. And if you don't have any filters and the sort of human element of, when you're doing blogger outreach or influencer outreach, you need to filter through them. And part of that is going back to the stats and the engagement. And generally, I'd say that most bloggers as well, who if somebody approaches me like to ask about working with me and they say, I'd love to see what's the average number of impressions on your last 10 Instagram posts, I'd be more than happy to share that information because that's stuff that they can't see, but I can. And it tells you a little bit more about the content I'm sharing than just what they can see on the surface. I mean, Instagram is such a minefield at the moment. You could share something that two years ago would have absolutely flown and everybody would have liked it and it felt like the Picasso of the Instagram world. <laughs> um, you share it now and you get 50 likes and yeah, you're lucky and you're sort yeah, of, that's of the fact of thinking, oh God, should I delete that because it's gone down so badly? And it's such a hard one to get right. There isn't in some ways a formula, which I guess for the last maybe two or three years there almost has become yeah, a formula it's almost it's a joke on the instagram cliches i guess which in some ways hopefully means a bit more creativity and difference might come in i think so, because yeah. people are going to try and do something different to make it work and there are some people who just do insanely creative things and i love following those sorts of people because they're really inspiring um but it's just sort of trying to find out what works for me i guess and what can i do within my realm of skill of taking photos (laughs) that I talk about that is going to work and be different but still be achievable that's what it's all about I think with Instagram yeah in fact I think probably that's a good point to end it on because that is kind of what it's all about with blogging as well so whenever you get into a rut and you feel like oh my god I'm going to give it all up I mean a friend said this to me the other day um you're you're on your own train that's true like I'm riding my own train my own path to success for me that won't look the same for you or for anybody else it's really hard to put your blinkers on <laughs> that's what I'm trying to do <laughs> I 100% say that's the best thing to do and there's that expression of comparisons the thief of joy oh, and yes. that is absolutely the case in blogging I think the worst train you can go down is the one where you're comparing yourself to others mm. because you're not in the same journey as them. And like, the best things I would say is if you're in a rut is go back to basics, remember why you started, look at how far you've come and just keep doing what you're doing and do it for the enjoyment and love of it first. And everything else will kind of flow a little bit more naturally from that. Because I think anytime you're doing content that feels a bit forced and you're doing mm-hmm. it because you feel you have to, it's not going to come across quite as well it probably won't go down as well and then you're going to feel more disheartened and you just end up on a bit of a downward spiral and take a break if you want to like I said the internet will still be there when you go back (laughs) everything will be okay it should be fun at the end of the day it's not meant to be as serious as it can become at times agreed where can everybody find you online I'm beauty junkie ldn on twitter and instagram or beauty junkie london on the blog Thanks for listening to what she said. I really appreciate it. I hope you enjoyed the episode. And if you did, please think about leaving me a five-star rating and a review if you have time. This really helps other people find the podcast and means that Apple don't hide me in their vaults. If you fancy joining my small but perfectly formed bunch of podcast fans for chit chat on Facebook, head to facebook.com forward slash groups forward slash what she said podcast and come and join us. Yeah.